this book is the Bible. Let's take a look at this book for a moment. Has there ever been a book like it? Has there? How is it after reading the same stories and passages and hearing the message after message on the same passages over years and years, we can still get something new out of this? Uh, How is it that more than 2,000 years after the events, after the writings of this particular book, that it is still relevant? How is it that every year since this has been measured, except one, the Bible has been the world's best-selling book and it's gaining popularity? How is it that the words of this book keep changing lives? Uh, So many lives, sometimes subtly, sometimes radically. And there are many people here tonight that testify to that, that these words change lives. How is it that even the worst, some of the worst of sinners, uh, hardened criminals and even atheists, have turned their lives around because of the words from this book? How is it that we can hear or we can read from this book, we can hear a message from it, and it feels like the words are speaking to us uh, in our situation right now, and it keeps happening. So how do we approach this book? How do we navigate all the stuff that's in it? Let's face it, some of this stuff is quite complicated. It's not like a normal book that we can read from cover to cover and it's all in the same style. Uh, One minute we can be reading a a historical account and then the next moment we're reading poetry. There's prophetic writing in scripture, there's apocalyptic writing, which is end times kind of writing, um, such as in Ezekiel or Revelation. Uh, There are letters, there are love letters like Song of Songs. There are laws in this book, um, like laws pertaining mildew in Leviticus chapter 13. So many bizarre things. There are stories of love and stories of war. There are good guys, bad guys, uh, angels, demons, giants, scandals, betrayals, stories of incredible victory and devastating defeat. The book's got everything. Um, we, We read stories about the creation of the world, including humankind, or about God bringing down the whole world with a flood and then saving a family and the animals with an ark. We read stories about the Exodus and the Israelites walking through a parted sea. What about Jonah? He was swallowed by a whale and then spat out three days later. What about Daniel? He survived being in a lion's den overnight, hungry lions. These these stories and so many others can be a little difficult to accept uh, without a little bit of doubt, let's face it. So if you're new to the Bible and new to church or even if you've been around for a long time, how do you navigate this book? It can be tricky. So over the next couple of months we're going to go through this particular book. It's called The Doubter's Guide to the Bible. (laughs) How well was that presented? We're going to use it as a sort of roadmap to navigating the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, 
from creation to eternity. This book actually shows us how the whole of the Bible is an account of how God planned, he revealed and executed his purposes for the world. This book will show that the Bible is an account of of God's promises and the fulfilment of those promises, how he restored people to himself, how he restored people to one another and how he restored people to creation. So my best advice for you over the next couple of months is this. Keep coming. Keep coming to church um, for the whole series. If you can't be here, you can listen to it online. Um, Read the notes provided. So at the back, there's these notes. Again, presented well. Buy the book. You can buy the book. I actually bought this online, uh, the Google Play Store. I won't tell you how much. Um, because I can't remember. Um, Come every week, because you're going to learn a lot. And most of all, as we approach this series, as we approach the Bible, come with open eyes. Come with an open heart, um, even if you're not sure about things. It's okay to have questions. It's even okay to have questions unanswered. And as John Dixon, the guy that spoke a little bit earlier, he wrote the book. He said in his video earlier, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay. My experience with this book, the Bible, is that God won't disappoint. He's not going to disappoint. He actually wants to reveal himself to us. Um, He wants us to know him. and And he will use all kinds of means, especially his word, to do so. He's going to reveal himself, so expect that he will. So where do we start? When do you, where do you start with this? Well, we're going to start at the very beginning, because apparently that's a very good place to start. Boom, boom. Um, we're going to start... Uh, it's the wrong crowd, isn't it? Um, we're going to start at the creation story uh, in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and chapter 1 of John Dixon's book is titled, How Everything is Good, the creation story. Everything is good, the creation story. So let's read the story. Genesis chapter 1, it's going to be on screen, and I'm not going to read every word because it's quite a long story, but I'll give you the abbreviated version. It says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was. And God saw that the light was good. A little bit further down it says, then God said, let the waters beneath the sky fall together into one place, so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters sea. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant and the trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what, is, that is what happened. The land produced vegetation all sorts of seed-bearing plants 
and trees with seed bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. A little bit further down it says, Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, the days and the years. Let these lights in the, sh- in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate the, night, the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I have given every green plant as food for all the animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Thanks for being patient with me with that. Um, If ever there was a story that was going to get the sceptics or the doubters going, it's the creation story. Even apart from the obvious creation versus evolution argument, um, people, including Christians, differ in their beliefs as to whether God created the world in an actual six days or whether it's six periods of another time. What I can tell you is about the stories that most experts believe that Genesis 1, the passage that we just read, is not an historical account. It's not an historical account as in other parts of the Bible. Uh, including other parts of Genesis. The style of writing in Genesis 1 is actually more like poetry than an historical account. But there is a point, and it is still truth. John Dixon writes, This combination of literary devices in Genesis 1 is most unusual. 
is never found in this concentrated way in historical prose elsewhere in the Bible. So it's nowhere else this kind of writing. And pretty much every expert agrees with that. This observation, John writes, convinces him and many others that the main point of the Bible's creation account is not historical or scientific, but literary, literary, uh, theological and philosophical. So he also says, I would still contend that Jesus' retelling of the narrative was a parable with a moral or symbolic point and was not intended as an historical account. And he feels the same way about Genesis 1. So it's not like the other historical writings where it was very factual, it was very, uh, very much a historical writing. This was a very different kind of style. So maybe the point of this story, the creation story, is not that God created the world in six days. Maybe that's not the point of the story. Maybe it's this. And Dylan read this a little bit earlier. A good God created a good world in which he placed good people to do good work so they can live the good life. Everything is good. Maybe that's the point. And he certainly uh, made a point to tell us that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. Let's everyone just read this together for a moment because I want you to get this. A good God, join with me, a good God created a good world in which he placed good people to do good work so that they can live the good life. Everything is good. Do you think that this was maybe how everything was meant to be? Do you think that maybe this is the way that God intended the world to be? This statement probably also begs the question, what is the good life that God intended for us? If he wants us to live a good life, what does that look like? Dylan also read this, and it means living harmoniously in community with our God and with others and within the physical world in which God created for us. That's what it means to live a good life. So we live in harmony, in, in relationship with our Father God, in harmony with one another and with, our, with the physical world that God created for us. There should be harmony. That's the good life. And there's essentially three dimensions to life that we're talking about here. And we're going to continue to explore these over the coming weeks. And those three dimensions are this, spiritual, social and physical. They're the three dimensions. It's basically how we relate to God, how we relate to others and how we relate to our physical world. And in the beginning, all this was good and in harmony. But we know it didn't stay that way. Not everything is good anymore. So let's go back to the good part, the good bit for a moment. Uh, what we can read in that story is that created stuff is good. Everything is Tov. Now, I know what you're thinking. What on earth is Tov? Has Joel got done a spelling mistake? Um, well, no. Just hold that word for a moment. I'm actually going to reveal what that is. Um, but let's look at the phrase that occurred so many times in that scripture. The phrase was, and God saw that it was good. 
How many times does it actually occur in that passage? Did anyone count? How many? Any guesses? Five? Seven. It was actually seven times it occurs and God saw that it was good. Um, is that number significant? And why do you think it occurs so many times? Why that particular phrase? If you could have emphasised anything about that story, why was it that that particular phrase, and God saw that it was good, why does that occur so many times? Do you think God's showing off? You know, this is pretty good. Um, I know when I do things, I like to let people know. Um, it's not a character flaw, I tell you. Um, like when I make a really nice meal, look at that meal that I made. Isn't that good? Or um, how many, the number of gym classes that I've done this week. Um, you can tell. Um, or how great was that basketball shot that I got. I like to let people know when I've done something good. Um, but I don't actually think God's showing off. But he does have a point. So what do you think his point is? And God saw that it was good. What's his point? It's not rocket science. The point is that God actually thinks what he made, the created stuff, is actually good. It's very good. Um, but the trouble with this translation is that the word good doesn't quite convey what God really thought. Now, if I was writing this particular passage, I probably would have used other words, um, like extraordinary, and God saw that it was extraordinary, or God saw that it was excellent, or magnificent, or splendiferous, or everything is... Yeah, it's all right. Um, they know me. Um, but even these words don't adequately explain or say what God was thinking. So let's look at the word that was used in the original translation. The original translation was Hebrew, and the, the word that they used at this very place was the word tov. As in the phrase muscle tov, you might have heard that uh, on TV or in movies uh, at Jewish weddings. And it actually means good luck. So everyone say tov. Tov? Tov, okay. So you've learned some Hebrew tonight. You're very well educated. Um, can I just grab my water for a moment, please? Thank you. She's tov. Um, so what is the meaning of tov? How is that best translated? And... Um, it's this. Tov is um, exactly as God intended. So when he uh, made things, he made things tov, exactly as he had intended. It also means that it's totally adequate for its purpose. So, yeah, you'll get that in a moment. Uh, and it also means a source of delight. So he was delighted um, with what he had made I've also seen Tov translated as good, beautiful, and working the way it was created to be. It's a cool word, Tov, do you think? Um, what can you think of that is Tov? Um, exactly as it intended, um, totally adequate for its purpose, um, delightful. What can you think of? I can think of coffee for a start. 
um, chocolate, um, pizza, um, cricket, um, door of hope is Tov, um, Pastor Steve is Tov, and my wife is very Tov. Um, but when God looked at his handiwork, he was thinking, this is exactly as I wanted it to be, exactly as I intended this to be. This is totally adequate for its purpose. Um, and he was delighted. And his handiwork actually includes us. So when he looks at us, he thinks, and God saw that it was Tov. Exactly as he intended us to be, totally adequate for our purpose, and he delights in us. Um, I want you to hear that. Um, you are made exactly as God intended you to be. I know that's hard for some people to hear. You are actually made exactly as God intended you to be. You are not a mistake. And you are made totally adequate for your purpose. God has a purpose for you and you are made exactly how you need to be to fulfill that purpose. God is so delighted with you that if he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. It'd be a big wallet. Um, he's delighted in you. So I want you to turn to your neighbour for a moment and tell them that they're Tov. Okay, you're Tov? Okay, good. You're Tov? Okay. Let me tell you a little bit about my handiwork over the years. You see, I'm actually not artistic. I'm not good with tools and I'm not a good cook. So over the years, I've made many things, um, including art in school, including wooden things in woodwork, including fancy meals at home. And I can tell you that these weren't exactly as I intended them to be. Um, that they weren't totally adequate for their purpose and uh, rather than being delightful, they were disappointing. Um, have you ever followed a picture to make something and um, it turns out a whole lot different than what the picture is? Um, it doesn't look anything like the picture. Well, that's, that happened to me a lot. Um, not much tov there at all, I can tell you. Um, so let's go back to this creation story. In the beginning, everything was Tov. Creation was Tov. People were Tov. Humanity's relationship with God was completely Tov. Everything in creation was working the way God intended it. It was good and it was beautiful. Yet as we know, something happened. The Tov people Start, stop believing that God was Tov. They thought that they could become like God themselves and eventually they stopped living a Tov life. They no longer treated all of creation as if it was Tov and quickly creation started to unravel. Everything Tov became very untov. We're going to take a, lot, a deeper look at this untov thing next week. And Tommy brings us chapter two, which is called Why is So Much? Why So Much is Bad. I love that God thinks that we're Tov. I remember very clearly when all four of my children were born. 
I remember that very first look at all four of them. Jessica. Um, <laughs> Joshua. Isaac and Ryan, okay. I can tell, I can, no, I, uh, we have this middle child thing going on, and, uh, sorry, oh, uh, that was very untold. Um, I, no, I can, honestly, I can, I can remember the, the first moment I saw all four of them. Um, and I can tell you that there is nothing like seeing your very own children for the first time. Someone that has actually come from you. I can tell you that at that moment, there was an immense feeling of joy uh, and delight at those moments, an immense. Uh, they were very tough. Uh, still are, sometimes. Um, actually, I love all babies. Um, and I can actually see Tov uh, in any baby that I see or hold. Um, but I feel something different about my kids. Um, even now, um, because they come from me. Uh, they are my offspring, and I have a father-child relationship with them. As much as they don't like to admit it, they are like me uh, in different ways. Fortunately, they're also like their mothers, so uh, lucky them. You could actually say that they were, they are created in my image, that they are like me. I'm going to ask the band to come up um, as we, as I finish very soon. Um, the creation story that we read tonight says that we are created in God's image. Um, so, and it says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. I want you to know that God has a very, has a radically different view of humanity compared to the rest of his creation. Men and women were created on the sixth day, not as an afterthought, but as the climax of creation. We are his most special creations, and I add, that, add us to that picture. I'm not just talking about those ones that were created at that time. We are his special creations. We are created in his image. And we are the ones that he feels that fatherly joy and delight about. We are his. The expression image of God means that men and women stand in a child-father relationship with God. They, or we are, his offspring, as it were. We bear his family resemblance. And God considers us as his children, and he grants us the special mission of looking after the, the world on his behalf. I want you to know that you are the pinnacle of creation that you are the pinnacle of creation. Do you know that you are not created, do you know that you are created on purpose? God intended for you to live. Um, that you are not some cosmic accident. Do you know that none of us are ordinary? None of us are average. 
After all, we're all created, all of us, all of us are created in the image of God. None of us are ordinary. Do you know that God planned all along to live in a relationship with us? All along, right from the start. And he, he intended to live in relationship with us as our Father. I want you to know that tonight that God sees you, sees all of us, as Tov. Um, exactly as he intended. You are exactly as God intended. However you look, however you're shaped, however you feel, whatever experiences you have, God sees you as Tov. Exactly as you, he intended. Totally equipped for the purpose that he has for you and he delights in you. He delights in you. Um, in Ephesians we read, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do all the good things that he planned for us long ago. You are a masterpiece. I like that. I like being a masterpiece. But it all comes back to this. A good God created a good world in which he placed good people to do good work so that they can live the good life. But not everything remained top. Not everything remained good. So for the rest of this series, the rest of the Bible, we're going to see how, we're going to see and we're going to hear how God restores humanity back to himself. That we were once a long way away from him, but we read in this book, we know from our experience that God actually brings us back um, to himself, to one another and to creation. So strap yourself in uh, for the rest of the series. It's going to get rocky, oh, I promise you that. But I've actually seen the end of the book and spoiler alert, the Saviour saves the day. The good side wins over evil and everything will be tov again to be continued.